This is a University of Pentecost podcast. Let's get started. Amen. I'm fired up about this message. Praise God. Knowledge is power. Anybody who has ever worked for somebody else or worked in the Fortune 500 or had a job of any substance knows that your knowledge gives you power. How many of you have ever said this? I want to be myself. I just want to be myself. Have you ever said that? Or maybe you said it this way. I want to be who I am. That's a classic American thing. I just want to be who I am. I want to be myself. Or you've been to a place you didn't feel comfortable with. said, I just didn't feel like I was myself. I couldn't be myself. Right? Praise God. Most of us, when we're sitting in front of the boob tube, watching the Packers, that's who we really are. But when we got a tuxedo on, we just can't be ourselves. Amen. And you know that that's true. We have an urge to define our own identity. Everyone has this urge. And so we want to know who we are. We want to be ourselves, right? And we are in a process of discovery of trying to find out who we are. This is especially true when children become middle, middle school age. They are looking for an identity. Mom and dad, don't let it find them on, them on their own. Amen? Help them to discover their own identity. That's why God gave those children to you. But these are some of the questions that we ask to find out who we are. And we want to know. The first question is, who am I? Have you ever asked yourself that question? Who am I? How about this question? Why am I the way that I am? Have you ever asked that one? How about this one? How can I change? <laughs> you ever stood in front of the mirror and said, How can I change? What direction should I go? This is a classic. If you're, you're not human unless you've asked this question. What direction should I go? And those of you guys out here who say, I always know where I'm going. How many times do you ask your wife for directions? Amen. Sit next to you in that car. What direction should I go? Here's, here's the really philosophical question that Carl Jung tried to answer. Why am I here? Why am I here? And the last one is, who can I become? These are the six questions that we ask of ourselves to find out our identity, who we are. Now let me read you a few things that we do know about who we are. There's two realms of what we know about ourselves. The first one is what we know about ourselves. I like shrimp, you like chicken, right? I like red cars, you like blue ones. I like big cars with belly room, you like sports cars that you've got to cramp in or like you're in the cockpit of an F-16. Amen? We need to know, we know some things about ourselves. And then there are, is the other realm that we do not know about ourselves. And usually people know these things about us but we don't see them in ourselves. Have you ever had somebody say to you, I see this in you, and you don't see it in yourself? Some people say, well, you're really an honest person, and you think you're the biggest liar that ever walked down the street. They don't, they don't really know me. You ever said that to yourself? They don't really know me. Knowledge is power. Gaining knowledge about yourself requires great effort. Did you know that? It requires great effort. In fact, the whole area of psychoanalysis 
our, our resident psychiatrist, uh, uh, psychologist Neil Haldorson will tell you that uh, people just want to get to know who they are. By mastering a subject, by mastering a subject, you and I gain confidence. Have you ever, have you noticed that? That's why we go to school. How many of you can read and write other than the little kids? All of you can, can't you? And those of you who can't, I mean, I, you know, they have ESL now. They have uh, lots of remedial courses you can take to learn how to read and write. But the point is this, is that when you begin to master a subject, you become confident in it. Now, my son, he wants to be an author, so he, he writes uh, dialogue and he writes plots and character definitions and stuff I don't even know about. But as he begins to master his craft, he begins to get more and more confidence in himself. And confidence is another word for faith. Praise God. Knowledge is power. Everybody say, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I'm talking about knowing who you are. And I'm talking about mastering the subject that makes you confident. Power is the ability to get things done. Most of us think that George W. Bush, well, he used to be the most powerful man in the world. Now we think it's the alphabet man from Iran. Praise God. Or we think it's Hugo Chavez in Venezuela. But when it comes down to power, that tells us what ability we have to get things done. Now, do you know that when you go to work for an employer, if you have mastered the knowledge that it takes to do a specific job, okay, and you are confident in that, that you will begin to contribute value where you work. And that's what your employer is really hiring you for, is that as you master the subject of your job, now let's say that you're a seamstress and you learn how to do this kind of a stitch and that kind of a stitch, or let's say that you build boats and you know how to put the shellac on, on the boat when it's all finished, you know how to do the architectural thing. The more knowledge you have, the more valuable you are. Does everybody agree with that? These are common sense things, aren't they? Praise God. But do you know that 80% of us in the United States do work that we're not good at? We work at places that do not make us happy. Can I get a witness? Praise the Lord. And we feel unfulfilled. You see, we only feel fulfilled when we are able to express our personal power. This all sounds kind of interesting coming from me, doesn't it? You, you guys just want me to shout and holler and quote Acts 2.38, don't you? Praise God, you're getting ready for me to do it. Oh yeah, I'm going to get there, don't worry. Praise God. The shouting's on the way. When you have personal power, you have the ability to make your life the way you want it. Right? And we said that if you would master knowledge, you would have power. And knowledge allows you to act effectively, not blindly like an amoeba. If you don't know who you are, you don't have personal power. If you don't have personal power, you cannot get what you want. Now, I did not write this on my own. I got this out of one of those self-help books to help you pick the career that you really want. Amen? <laughs> Just in case you thought I was smarter than I am. I'm one of those ignorant, unlearned men. When you self-express yourself, your identity, you work. It comes from your mind, your body, and your actions. And your self-expression is what contributes value to your employer. When you express yourself 
fully, you tend to feel satisfied. How many people here are not satisfied in their job? Well, I've got some people that don't lie. Thou shalt not lie. There you go. How many of you are completely satisfied? All right. Now, the reason for the difference is this. Those of you that are satisfied are able to fully express who you are because you have mastered the knowledge okay, of that particular occupation. But you see, the problem for most of, most of us is, is that we get into occupations and begin doing things that do not suit ourselves because we do not know who we are. You see, if we knew who we are, we may not choose to be just to pick an occupation, you know, uh, a banker, a butcher, a baker, a candlestick maker. We need to know who we are. If we really, truly, many of us get into occupations simply because it paid the most money. It was the first thing available. But we really don't know who we are. And so we end up doing work that is not fulfilling. And it's not fulfilling because we do not, we do not have the ability to express ourselves. We don't, have the express, we don't have the ability to express ourselves because we don't master the knowledge of things we're not interested in. Does it make sense? It does, doesn't it? Praise God. Now you can be a career counselor too. Amen. <laughs> to be fully expressive, you must take what is inside of you and transform it to the outside of you. That's how you will know when you are fully expressive. Your work will begin to express who you are. And I know you guys agree with this, and whether you agree with it or not, they have pretty much proven that this is true. Self-expression is a creative process. It transforms, it's a transformation that requires power, and we know that knowledge is power, right? To accomplish value effectively. Sounds like one of those long definitions that fall out of your head real good, right? You must have the knowledge of who you are. Fully self-expressive people are by definition powerful people. The world around them is the way that they make it. Powerful people are proactive. They are responsible. They are satisfied. They are energized masters of their own lives. The work of powerful people is all about self-expression. If you are unsatisfied or feel powerless, you're going to use words like this. I'm frustrated. I'm powerless. I'm angry. I'm bored. You ever used those words before? To be truly satisfied and content, we must know who we are. We must master the knowledge of who we are. And when we master the knowledge of who we are, we will be able to express who we are. We will then contribute value or find work where we can contribute value in an environment of people that permit this self-expression. This all sounds pretty cool, doesn't it? I mean, I was reading this, I'm thinking, man, when I got my first job out of college, I know what I went for. I went for the highest pay. I know I did that. But there are people that know who they are. They have mastered, and now they have tests that you can discover who you are. They have tests to test you about, they give you word tests, things you like to do, the type of people you like to associate with. And we are all different, folks. We are all different. 
We are all different. Praise God. People are dissatisfied when they do what is not natural to them. They don't know who they are. They can waste a lifetime doing something that's not exciting, not satisfying, not expressive of who they really are. Now that you understand all that, and I believe it's true, I want to take you back to the Garden of Eden, right? On this side, we have the first tree that God made, the tree of life. Notice the palm branches. And on this side over here, we have the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God creates a man to work. It says that he put him in the garden to work, to dress and to keep it. That's work, right? To express himself. I'm sure there's a song about that. Amen. So when man wants to find out who he is, he's in that garden to find out who he is. That's why he's there. And he's going to make the decision based upon the knowledge that he gets. Are you with me so far? Amen. Let's turn in our Bibles to the book of Psalms, chapter 8, and verse 4. This is written by David, King David. And David is going to ask God a question. He's going to ask God a question because David himself does not know who he is. Psalms 8 and verse 4. David asks God, What is man that you should magnify him? I'm sorry, that thou art mindful of him. And what is the Son of Man, meaning humanity, that you visit with him? For you have made man a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor. You have made him to have dominion over your works of thy hands. And you have put all things under his feet. David's asking, who am I? Who am I that you would do this for me? Job asked the same question. Job chapter 7 and verse 17. If you would turn there, please. Praise God. Job 7 and 17. Job says, What is man that you should magnify him and that you should set your heart upon him? Job is asking, Who am I? Who am I? The reason why most people do not know who they are is because they have been eating at the wrong tree. You see, when God put the tree of life in the garden, Adam needed an identity. And all Adam had to do was to walk up to that tree and eat from the fruit of that tree. But in the garden there was a serpent. Now if you read the word serpent, you'll go to the Hebrew and you'll find, it's, you'll find the word seraph. If you find the word seraph, you'll find the word seraphim. It means an angel that has fallen. Just to help you understand your Bible. So there's a serpent in the garden, an angel who is created to worship God's name. And he talks to somebody who's in the garden who does not know who they are. And says, if you eat of this tree, you're going to get the knowledge of who you are. 
You're going to find out what's good about you, and you're going to find out what's bad about you. And isn't that what we always want to know? What do people think of me? You ever ask somebody that? What are they saying about me? What does my boss think about me? Right? Because we know parts of ourselves, but then there's the other part that we don't know, that only others and God knows. We tend, most of us, I hope, we tend to focus on our positive attributes. But then there are times when we don't. Because at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, we are oftentimes taught that there are things about us that nobody can love. Can you say praise the Lord? And so we adopt this idea about ourselves. And so David and Job asked the question, Who am I? Why would you set your heart upon me? Why would you love me when I have been at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and I found out some things about myself that I myself don't love and I know nobody else would? Can you say praise the Lord? There's an answer that you can find to this. Let's go to one more verse. Psalm 144, verse 3. David cannot understand it. He says, Lord, Psalm 144, verse 3, Lord, what is man that you even take knowledge of him or the son of man that you make account of him or you watch him? Amen? And this is the question that none of us can understand. Who am I, God, that you've set your eyes upon me? Who am I, God, that you would love me? Who am I, God, that you would go to a cross and die for me? Who am I, God? Don't you know who I am, Lord? I'm not worth it. The Bible says that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. God told Adam, don't go to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because you're going to get the wrong identity. You're going to begin to believe that it's all about you. You're going to begin to believe that you are your own God. That you have nobody to submit to or surrender to. That all you need to do is to get rich and get ahead and you'll be a good person. You're friendly to your neighbors. You help everybody out in your neighborhood. And you're kind to people at work. And somehow that grants you the right to walk into heaven. Jesus says it this way. All of our own self-righteousness is as a filthy rag to God. The only righteousness that the Lord will accept is the blood of Christ. The sacrifice that He made on that cross. The only way for us to reverse what's happened to us, the curse in the garden is we need blood. We need somebody else to cover what we've done. We've been feeding at the wrong trough. That blood of Christ permits us to get back in the garden and to go to the tree of life and to find out why God thinks we're so awesome. Let's go to the book of Jeremiah 31 and 31 in the Old Testament. Knowledge is power. Can you say praise the Lord? Jeremiah 31, 31. 
This is the Old Testament prophecy of the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the old covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which covenant they broke. I was a husband to them, said the Lord. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. For those days, after those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts. I will write it in their hearts. I will be their God. They shall be my people. And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother. But they will say, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them until the greatest of them, saith the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sins no more. He's talking about the baptism of the Holy Ghost. He is saying that you can reverse this bad knowledge that you got about who you are and who you think you are and get a true knowledge of why God is interested in you. But you'll never find out why God created you, why you exist, why am I here, who am I, until you come and you drink and eat from the right tree. Let's put up Acts chapter 2, verse 1. If Bible man would put that up there. The day of Pentecost is when Jesus returned the second time. He came the first time to die for people's sins, to pay a penalty that we cannot afford to pay because it will cost us an eternity in solitary confinement in a place called Gehenna, the lake of fire. You cannot afford to pay that penalty. So Jesus Christ came and became our sacrifice for our sins, that we might eat from the tree of life. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, all these apostles were together in one place in one accord, most likely the Jewish temple. It was the only place that could hold 120 people. They were all in one place, verse 2. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven like a rushing mighty wind. It filled all the house where they were sitting having a church service, just like you are. Verse 3. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, because those cloven tongues represent the pillar of fire over the tabernacle of God as it went to the wilderness. And it sat over them, and God is signifying He is transferring His headquarters. Now that they have repented of their sins and have acquired the blood of Jesus Christ, He is transferring His headquarters from a tent made with hands to a temple made without hands. He wants to live inside of us so that we can get an identity that we never had before. Praise God. And here's how you know if you're going to get a new identity. Here's how you know that God is going to teach you. It says, And they appeared unto them. They were all filled, verse 4, they were all filled with the Holy Guest. And when they began to speak with other tongues, God, that was the sign that God gave them to know they had now eaten from the right tree. Because there's no other sign that God's going to give you that He's in there. You, when you receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, you will speak a language that you've never learned before. I was excited up at family camp this week up in Shawano, Wisconsin. Two deaf kids were filled with the Holy Ghost. How do they know? For the first time in their lives, they were speaking a language. Hallelujah. And when God filled me, a greedy businessman with the Holy Ghost, I knew that He was in there because I spoke a language I had never learned. He changed my nature. I evacuated the prison camp called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, living for myself, 
and greed and the love of power versus the power of love. And when I got the Holy Ghost, I got the knowledge of God. And God began to teach me. When I opened His Word, it came off the page at me. God began to give me signs and wonders. I'd pray for people and they'd get healed, even though the newspapers don't believe it. We've got to walk an example around here. Hallelujah. Let's clap our hands. I know you want to. This is the knowledge that God has always wanted man to have. But I'll tell you what. He handed out this knowledge at Harvard University. We've got to unload everything we learned at that tree of the knowledge of good and evil and reject it. Because we want that knowledge to get ahead. But when God gives you His knowledge, He gives you the power that created the universe. A power that is uncontainable. A power that is greater than everything you will ever do. A power that will give you an identity. A born-again identity. And when you get that identity, He will teach you who you truly are and why you are here. You are not here to make a bunch of money, build up a 401k, and coast to retirement and a nursing home. If that's all your life is, failure, bankrupt, snake eyes, but I like the question the young preacher said this morning. If you were on your deathbed and you were to take an inventory of your life, what would you say? Whose life was transformed because I made a bunch of money, because I had a fancy car and a big ring. <laughs> Foolish, the pharaohs had all that stuff too. And it sits inside of a triangular pyramid and grave robbers got it. What I'm trying to say is God created us and sees in us a much higher purpose than we ever see in ourselves. God wants us to have this teaching, this knowledge, this power on the inside of us. David asked the question, Who am I? Who am I that even the You've made us just a little bit lower than the angels. Why have you set your affection on us? Why would you even come and die for us? Hebrews 2 says in verse 17, that it behooved God to even be made like His brethren, that He might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself suffered being tempted, he is able to succor or comfort them that are tempted. I want to read you a story. This is, this is where I'm close to closing. This was written by J., Ms. J. Lewis, who is now a famous author. She said it this way. I was supposed to be nothing. That was the plan. At nine years old, my father screamed in my face, you are nothing but a failure. You will never amount to anything. You'll never be nothing but nothing as long as you live. And I believed him. I forgot that I was created by a loving God who knit me together in my mother's womb, Psalm 139, 13. Not wanting to disappoint my father, I worked hard at being a nothing. I stopped studying for my classes in school. I stopped dreaming the dreams that often shape our future. I barely scraped by. By the time I was in the seventh grade, I overheard my parents talking about how wonderful life would be for them 
if I had never been born because being youngest I would be out of the way and they could follow their dreams. I believed them and I forgot that even my mother who nursed me forgot about me. But Isaiah 49:15 says that God will never forget me for he hath carved me in the palm of his hand. By the time I was 15, my final ninth grade report card read, she has incredible general knowledge but no specific knowledge. She'll never become anything continuing on this course. I believe my teacher, I believed her, and I continued on my worthless course, reading and studying on my own, everything from history through science, and I began to have much general knowledge. And then I read the forbidden book, the Bible, according to my atheistic childhood. And I began to know the God of the Bible and His great love for me. Yet still I believed I was a failure, even weird. Somewhere in the middle of this, I began to write, to write, and to write. And when I found that I had no one to talk to, I could talk to God. I did not yet understand Psalm 139.14 that I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Years came and went. Darkness was all around me. But there was in this darkness, I found the light of God's presence. The Holy Spirit was there. Not knowing who I was, God was always with me, ready to help me to discover the truth. Psalm 139, 7-12, that I would always be in God's presence. I discovered that even though that I did not know God, that He knew me. And there was much darkness in people's lives who did not believe in Him. Praise God. I wish that I had been taught to know God from the beginning. I wish that instead of being in a religious home, I had grown up in a godly home. I wish that as a teenager I'd had godly people to change the course of my life. However, this I can say. I know that God has a plan for me. I'm wonderful. I'm totally unique. And God expects great things from me. Shouldn't we all expect them from ourselves? And this is the knowledge that God wants us to have when we receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. That He has made us for His purpose. And without the Holy Ghost, we will have no purpose. Amen? Let's stand where our feet as our musician comes. Hallelujah. I began this sermon with a series of questions about do you know who you are? And until you have received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, you will never know that blind area that only God knows of who you are. And if you want to know what He thinks, you have to repent of your sins. You have to clean up and approach the tree of life and say to Him, God, you have this knowledge about who I am. You have my identity in your spirit. You created me to be something. And I'm ready for that.
You are 